You're listening to DraftKings Network. Welcome to another episode of Darth Amin's Rule of Two. I am your Sith Lord, Darth Amin. I'm joined, as always, by my apprentice, Darth Cornpuzzle, a.k.a. Anthony Mays. And as you know, this is the podcast where we review all things Star Wars, The Mandalorian Season Finale, Episode 8, The Return, parentheses to Mandalore, as opposed to The Return of Thrawn, as opposed to The Return of Maul, of, of all the other theories we had. Nope, just, nope, they just went back to Mandalore, something they did in Episode of this series or whatever but i digress before we get into reviewing the season finale of the mandalorian we got a guest today maze did we adopt someone we sure did spoiler alert <laughs> because he hasn't watched the finale yet i literally just grabbed him from the living room <laughs> can we explain studio. how this happened and by the way yes it's also <laughs> my return hello although i Never actually appeared on this pod, although I have done many Star Wars. I think I exclusively pod about Star Wars with me. You were on the original Star Wars pod. The yes. original episode was me, you, and Freddie Prince Jr. Oh, my God. Yes. Years and years what ago. What a time. I was sitting out, Maze, out in like the bullpen area, and Amin grabbed me, and he was like, have you watched the finale? I said, no, and he said, we're going to do a podcast about it. And I said, I would like to not have this spoiled for me. And here I am. How the f*** is this happening? <laughs> There's a lot to talk about in Star Wars that's not necessarily the Mandalorian season finale. Oh, I got takes. You have takes. To be clear. Well, all right. So we have a magic wheel. The wheel doesn't work. So we're just going to do this with the magic dartboard, which is imaginary. Just use theater of the mind. I'm going to give you different topics here. We've got the Mandalorian overall, the upcoming Ahsoka series, the announcement of the new movies, the video game that's coming out, so mm. Jedi Survivor, mm. and we've got Potpourri. Poe Dameron Puri? <laughs> Potpourri includes other things that haven't necessarily happened in the last couple of months, but can extend back to other series that came on, other announcements, anything you want. So I'm seeing the wheel spin in my yeah. mind, and it's slowing down, and it's clicking and clacking its way to the new movies that you refer to. All right. To. Fanfare music. And the reason is because what I want, I want more of this to feel. I'm already self-conscious about what I'm about to say here because it's a take that is going to horrify my 12-year-old self. But I want more of like the Rogue One school uh, of this, you know? I want, <laughs> I want the stuff about, you know, how we're learning about people. Yep. Aliens, it turns out, I mean, I feel like I've over-indexed on aliens. <laughs> this is not a thing I would too have ever many, told you. Too many aliens My screen problems? name growing up was Yoda, followed by six digits. And now I'm here talking about, like, what I really want from Star Wars is a real examination of the bureaucracy that is inherent yep. to all of Western civilization. And so out of the 
the Rogue One cinematic universe. And of course, like, yeah, like, do I want everything to sound like Michael Clayton? Not necessarily, but more Tony Gilroy, absolutely. Yeah. Like, dude, I want I want it to feel more like that because that felt revelatory to me as a Star Wars fan. So you've come to the right place because one of the things that Maze and I have talked about all season long is it may be a very unpopular opinion, but more politics. Yes. I need more politics in Star Wars. Yes. The, my favorite episodes of Mandalorian this season, plus, I don't know if you watched Bad Batch, but my favorite episodes of Bad Batch were all politics episodes. Things that are happening in Coruscant and bureaucracy and red tape and middle management and people feeling like they're not heard. All that stuff, goosebumps. Who becomes a rebel? Who becomes the bad guy, the empire, the bureaucrat? As much as Rogue One I loved at the time, Andor is the key to which mm -hmm. all of those desires were unlocked for me. And I was like, yeah, man, it felt like, I'm sure you guys have discussed this in some form or another, but it just felt like they were trying to make the point. Like how many aliens did you count? How many creatures did you count on Andor? You know, like one, two... This is a very pro-Empire take by Pablo. Too many aliens! <laughs> They're beneath us. These these Wookiees are just sheep, basically. Yeah, big species energy. Yeah. That's right. That's right. They're less than us. They're different looking, and they're less than me. I think when it came to Andor, it wasn't necessarily about aliens so much as the Force being absent. I would say that you're right, and that what I mean to say by aliens is like, and this is again where I'm like self-conscious. It's like it's the actual sci-fi shit. <laughs> like I'm sorry, I'm pivoting in my fandom of Star Wars <laughs> towards like political thrillers instead of sci-fi world building in that way. To your point. It's funny because I've often said that one of my favorite lines in Rogue One is when they're on Scarif and they're planting the bombs in order to appear like they're more numbers of rebels than there actually are. And they're hiding in the bushes and there's these two Stormtroopers walking by. One of them says to the other, you hear about the new TK units or whatever? It's like, ah, that'll never work or whatever. There's something about it that just spoke to me. That this mundane humdrum, like two guys at work, they're like the guys upstairs, they don't know what they're doing. Rogue One was a movie about middle management. Everybody in that movie, yes. other than Vader, is basically someone who has to answer to somebody else who just doesn't get the work that we're doing here. Like somebody in an office, right? Whether it's Krennic, I don't get enough credit for building the Death Star. Jin Erso going to the council and say, we got to do something. And they're like, no, you know, it's all but lost or whatever. Whether it's Cassie Nando say, hey, I just work here, right? Everybody's kind of not in control of their situation. It took us inside the interior lives of like cannon fodder, otherwise generally anonymous people. Mm -hmm the stormtroopers you referenced included, into like office workers. And it convinced me in a real way that like, oh, this is the type of person that would in fact join the empire. Yep. And that was something that I had never thought because all of the stormtroopers were flattened into essentially like de facto robots. Mm -hmm. And when you make them people, you begin to realize that, holy shit, this is a metaphor for like actual life. And that's where I, I just got hooked on it. What we saw in Rogue One was taken and expanded upon in Andor, right? Like this whole universe. How does one become a rebel, right? What pushes people to do these things? And, and the other thing that's amazing about that storytelling is they're not that different. 
the rebels from the Imperials. They're not different. Correct. They're, they take it too far. And you think about Maze, what was my man's name? The guy who lives with his mom, Cyril Karn. But that dude, that like sniveling dude who you mostly get see shot with the laser, you instead realize that he has this complex because of his mom. And I'm like, I buy his motivation. Dude, but also beyond that, like think about who he is. He's like, I'm just a guy. I got a job. I'm job and security. I do things by the book. I do things the right way. I want to get, I want to get, move up in the world. I want to get advanced in the world. He's just playing the rat race. He's not like those evil rebel scum. He's exactly not that right. cartoonish exactly villain. Right. He's a real person who's just like kind of doing his job and wondering why everyone else isn't. You know what it reminds me of? In, in a parallel way, Succession, right, is about how can we empathize with the Murdochs. Right. It's like, why are people sad that Logan Roy, not even that Logan Roy, spoiler alert on this, wow. that Logan Roy may or may not have, ah. you know, um, ah. <laughs> but also that his security guard, right. people were like, oh, the saddest scene is when a security guard was on the tarmac. Yeah. And it's like, you care about the guy who covered up the deaths yeah. of yep. like just actual common people under the boot of this evil, mm -hmm. actual racist billionaire? So, too, am I caring about the bodyguard writ large that is in the Star Wars universe? I'm yeah. like, you know, that guy, yes, I now see why he has feelings. Yeah. And it's a lot like the good guys. And that's where it gets really interesting. And then the, and the flip side is, is Skarsgård's character, who is this guy that's, you know, he's orchestrating all these attacks and stuff. He's building something. And you're like, yeah, he's one of the good guys. And then you find out about him selling out people. And that's the price of yes. it. Yes. Like, and you say, oh, he's not that good of a person, even though he is on the side of good. Uh, or I think about Mon Mothma's family dynamic. Her husband is just a guy who wants to hang out and chill. He doesn't care. He's about a himbo. Yeah. He's, he's like an airhead. You know, he's like obviously not the alpha in the relationship. Remember when we used to have fun? That was one of his lines, <laughs> right? Like that's his whole thing. But then the daughter is growing up brainwashed by the propaganda of like, to steal the term, this is the way. And everything else is is an affront and a deviance. But even the compromises where Mon Mothma is actually like going along with these betrothal rituals mm -hmm. because she has this larger mission. And it means, yes, you, you are always compromising some pure sense of morality that we, I think, had always ascribed to the light and the dark and, you know, yeah. the Jedi and, and the Sith. And here, it's a lot more about there is extremism in both directions. What's the value of it, of people who are pushing the envelope, who have their who have their 95 theses, who have their, here is my diatribe, my political monologue mm -hmm. for you to play about why you need to be radical. What's that the, was great. What's the guy that died gave Cassian his manifesto? Because up until that point, Cassian's just here on a job. Nemec. Yeah. Nemec, yeah. And so then yes. Nemec is the one who, in essence, radicalizes him. He's the best encapsulation of what we're talking right? about. Right. He, he, Correct. Radicalized he, him. He radicalizes Andor in, in death, and he gives him the manifesto. And by the way, it doesn't even, what I loved about it, it didn't even happen instantly. The guy's still with the Star Wars Miami and hung out, <laughs> getting drunk and hooking up. Well, also, it ended up, it was a chain radicalization, right? Where Andor is channeling Nemec's voice, literally then actually by like repeating it. Mm -hmm. And then when it came to like talking over the speaker, 
it was Andor inspiring the next guy. And it was just like, this is how you convert people. Right. This is what it means to like actually have an idea that changes uh, a revolutionary war effort. It's probably some of my favorite, if not my favorites. I mean, it's hard. I, I like. I feel very reactionary. Say it might be my favorite but, Star Wars. But the right? writing, man. I don't know. Like you took away all of the toys. Literally, the toys. Like yep. the things I fell in love with. That was my gateway drug into Star Wars. All the toys are gone, and all that's left is like the writing and these ideas. And and maybe I have no idea if you guys have a sense of like whether your kids actually mean. Do they like Andor? As an adult, I hope that other adults like it. I also don't necessarily expect kids to, but I hope they do. So the numbers weren't great. Like, it's definitely not on the level. Ironically, right? Because when The Mandalorian came out, it was this massive success, primarily because it brought in people who don't like Star Wars. So many people who said, ah, I don't like Star Wars. But for whatever reason, this thing appealed to them. And for many people, that whatever reason was a tiny green baby Yoda. Grogu yeah. was the thing that hooked them in. And, and it brought in this huge new fan base, if you will. Ironically, I think of Andor as a show that if you don't watch Star Wars, you could watch this and totally enjoy it. And not know anything about Star Wars and not be turned off by some of the more fantastic elements or the more sci-fi elements. And yet, I don't know if it did well in that regard in terms of mass appeal. Critically, yes, it did great. Just give me a scene. I am also just getting older in the sense that I don't know anyone's name on the show, really. <laughs> but Stellan Skarsgård, right? His character? The elevator ride up in oh. which he basically, again, is... He has the presentation of an Obi-Wan, of a Sith, the the robe flowing. Mm -hmm. Like, you get the sense that they're setting you up for this reveal that's going to be grandiose on the level of, like, a Ben Kenobi-type thing. And then you realize he's just going to give you this speech about all of the things he sacrificed that have enabled this stuff and why he is resigned to never getting credit. That gave me goosebumps. Shows that can build up somebody and pay off his investment such that I actually find him terrifying and inspiring and just plausible. He just became one of my favorite characters, like ever. And again, him basically saying, look, I'm a piece of shit. Telling the guy straight up, like, what would you expect? You think you think that I like it's all rainbows and stuff? No, like, that's not how this thing works. You don't get to do this and go home and be clean. You come home and you're dirty. You have blood on your hands, you know, and it's compelling. And then it, feeds and it kind of bleeds into some of the other things. As I said, the, the other politics, whether it was in Mandalorian, when Pershing goes to talk on Coruscant and afterwards he's being greeted by all these elites. Mm -hmm. And the one guy says, you know, I was almost drafted and like, oh, empire. I don't even know. It's like, those are the words of someone rich who never has to deal with any of that shit. Just, right. It's way below me. And like, ah, who knows? Who can even tell them apart? And that's the reality is even as we're watching Mandalorian season three, it's very apparent that the New Republic, maybe corrupt is too far, certainly inept and drowning in bureaucracy. Oh, it kind of reminds me about like how you realize, or at least I realize that like the luxury of the unpaid internship. <laughs> it's like, it's not straight up like evil, but it is actually a function of people with privilege who have never really reckoned with it, but they get to feel like they are, but I'm an unpaid employee. It's like, <laughs> yeah, but zoom out a little bit and see why it is that you landed there. Right. Not to totally pivot away from this hobby horse about Andor and Rogue One and the Tony Gilroy stuff, but the idea that the Mandalorian made a very specific choice where it was like, you know what we don't need? Faces. 
<laughs> this is a choice from a production perspective, from an acting perspective. Mm-hmm. Like, who do you need to hire to do these roles? It's also explicitly at the other end of the spectrum from that and or approach. It's about people you can't see. Right. And Theater of the Mind certainly fills in some of the blanks, but I just think it's very funny and interesting that Star Wars is on these two, in many ways, on these separate tracks that are diametric opposites, but they're all feeding kind of the same fan base, which is maybe a sign of health, but also a sign of a little bit of, of creative schizophrenia, I think. Largesse, I think. Largesse right? is just... another term. I should say that now as a no longer full-time Disney employee. There you go. Oh, yeah. Largesse! <laughs> there is largesse in this establishment. Too much. <laughs> Trim down, Disney. <laughs> Does the helmet on helmet acting hurt it to you, Pablo? I just think it prevents some human connection. Like, I don't think it's better. I don't think... I just can't escape the idea, Maze, that this is a toy-first concept. My first Star Wars toy was the 12-inch Kenner Boba Fett. I was radicalized by that. Mm-hmm. You know, that was the coolest thing I'd ever seen. That's why I loved Star Wars. And it's just hard for me. You know what threw me off the most, actually? The little kid Mandalorians. Ragnar! You know yeah, who he is, right? Oh. In fact, this is the problem. I have no idea. No, who... the actor. No, that's what I mean. How would I have any idea? Well, that, that episode where he gets baptized, you know, like on that desert shit oh, whole sure, planet, sure, right? Sure. He's Jimmy Kimmel's nephew. And so... Largess. Yeah, no, but watch this. Yeah, exactly. Jimmy Kimmel's show <laughs> appears on ABC. <laughs> on internships. But here's the funny thing. <laughs> Jimmy Kimmel didn't know until Favreau told him, we cast your nephew. He's like, really? And he's like, yeah. Like, we needed someone with a martial arts background. And Jimmy Kim was like, hey, I didn't tell you at the time because I wanted him to get the job. It's like, he has no martial arts background. He just <laughs> lied, man. The kid literally just lied on his resume. Like, I think he took one karate class once. But if that kid was also just like, look, they're going to put me in a helmet at some point. Yeah, they'll get a helmet kid to do all the stunts. But this is also my like conspiracy about Pedro Pascal, where it's like, how much is he actually in that suit? Never. Straight up, he's been in the show Three scenes. You guys think it's just all ADR? He just goes into the studio, records yeah. his lines? And- How could, I mean, prove that it's not. <laughs> like, seriously, what an amazing, it's the Stugatzian, it's the Stugatzian dream. <laughs> I'm the star of the Mandalorian. Put a on Stugatz. Exactly. There you go. I don't have solved. to ever go to work. You just record, you just sit in your underwear somewhere, just tape the line. <laughs> What's the line? This, this is the way? Okay, got it. Uh, just a grunt a couple of times. <laughs> That is, that is pretty incredible, man. I also find myself wondering, is there a natural, I was wondering, I should say, and maybe this way we segue to kind of some of the stuff they talked about, like in the movies that will be made. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? We actually yeah, that was an excellent answer by Pablo. <laughs> I want to talk about the movies. Let's talk about Andor. Let's talk about the movies that aren't getting made. The, the Make Andor. these movies. Right. Yeah. So I kind of feel like every time I watch The Mandalorian, there's a time limit to how much story you can tell here. Like, there's only so much of these you can do. Not, I'm not even talking about, like, within the canon because things are going to happen. This story kind of feels like it has a shelf life of how many of these kind of adventures between these two characters can happen. Right? The big lizard was the one where I was like, all right, you guys have a whole episode <laughs> about this. big lizard? Exactly, exactly. <laughs> they read that back three or four times this season. It's like, this lizard is so big, this is not a coincidence. He's, they're going to the big lizard thing too much. <laughs> too much dice. But the other part of it I thought of is the announcement that one of the three movies that are going to get made is going to be directed by Dave Filoni, and it's going to be an Avengers Infinity War style melding of all these different storylines mm. from all these different shows. And they're all going to come together in this one movie. 
Doesn't that feel a little, when you say it like that, a little like Ewok Christmas special? <laughs> oh, no, come on. I mean, Dave Filoni, by the way, I should say, Dave Filoni, the first pod we did with Freddie Prince Jr., you guys sold me on the religion of Dave Filoni. Yeah. Okay. I'm not here to besmirch his good name as the keeper of canon. I just hope he pulls that off. Yeah, I just it seems <laughs> that, that sounds like a thing that is capitalistic first, yeah. toy first, and story second. I hope it is the opposite. It seems incredibly ambitious. And also, I don't know if there's enough story to get us there. I mean, they're really, really threading this Mandalorian thing out. We talked about this last week, Maze, that almost wish they would have taken Book of Boba Fett's Mandalorian scenes, which I'm, I want to ask oh, you. Please, I got so many fucking right? takes on that. <laughs> and, and made that the beginning of season three. Because, Pablo, I said, imagine all the people who just watched Mandalorian. I'm not a Star Wars person. Oh, Mandalorian, I love this show. Oh, wow, okay. And then, you know, well, Grogu's gone off to hang out with Luke Skywalker, the end. And then season three happens. Like, Wait, how did he get back here? It felt like when a podcast cross-publishes episodes from another feed. <laughs> I'm just like, you guys are just sneaking. Pablo, careful. Remember who you work for now. <laughs> We're trying to get on the main feed, man. Hold on now. Gorgeous. <laughs> it was so conspicuous as to be an indictment. Honestly, just like, come on, guys. Yeah, or like when the ER doctor showed up in Friends. <laughs> George Clooney is suddenly walking around flirting with Jennifer Aniston. Love a crossover. They love the crossover, man. They had Caroline in the City was Remember on Friends. When, was it Uncle Phil went on Family Matters or Reginald Vell Johnson yeah, no, went on? It, it was, Which it way was, was it? Uncle Phil who went on Family Matters because like it was the end scene and then opens the door and here comes Uncle Phil and Reginald Vell Johnson didn't know that well, that's what it was that James Avery was coming in James Avery and, shout out. but they took it up a notch because it would be like if you tuned into friends there was an opening scene where Joey's making a sandwich and then they cut to like trauma in the ER and this is the whole ER episode that's what it was like the book of Boba Fett to quote Stephen A. Smith was bad <laughs> <laughs> I gave you my bona fides, as my talented Mr. Ripley has said. I gave you my bona fides on that. I love Boba Fett. I was so unmoved. Really? Yeah, man. I'm sorry. I, what I, was mm. the most disappointing part of it for you? Yeah, that, that Boba Fett wasn't bounty hunting anymore? Oh, that he gave it up? Why are you trying to do the trying thing where like, you're a guy. good guy now? And also, as much as I love... I don't think anybody should have played Boba Fett. Forgive me the actor's name. Tamara Morrison. Why are we having him essentially do this role that asks him to sell a character in a way that is a hard ask? Now Pablo wants the helmet on the whole time. <laughs> I get it. I do. I do. Without, and maybe that's why. Maybe that's why. Maybe that's why they went all helmet. It's because people like me said that. But yeah, I was... <sighs> it was slow. It ended up being a mishmash of stuff, and it felt very, again, toy first. Okay, so of the two series that underwhelmed, at least Maze and I, Book of Boba Fett and Obi-Wan, which one was more disappointing for you? <sighs> Book of Boba Fett, but also Obi-Wan is like, you know how they say 1A, 1B, whatever the yeah. bottom is, but A and B. Did you guys see? <laughs> I never saw this. My brother sent it to me, who's also a huge Star Wars fan. He sent me the cut up that someone made of like, what if Obi Wan was just one movie? Mm -hmm. And they cut it into like one X number of hour long thing. And apparently it played better. I'm willing to consider the fact that maybe it was just a matter of like packaging that this was. 
It was supposed and, to be a movie originally. And maybe that is is something that got in the way of of just pacing and and the way it felt slow. Did they cut out little Leia? Because if they did, I'm in. Little Leia. Put a helmet on little Leia. <laughs> put a speeder on her. I put a helmet on. This she, is the new slogan. Just put a helmet on it. Her little waddling around where a grown man can't catch and, and up to her. And she juked the crap out of those guys, she, Pablo. And, and also, we're at the point with child actors where I've seen it done really well. I know The Last of Us, they're doing the thing where it's like a 21-year-old playing a 12-year-old. Yeah. yeah. I don't care. Sorry. <laughs> if you're a child and you're getting outacted by orders of magnitude, yeah. I know you're adorable, but like... Not but carrying the scene. That's going back to toys, right? Like they're selling something, right? And as much as you probably adult appreciate an incredible acting job from that, you know, role, kids want to see themselves in this. And like, oh, she's just like me. And like, yes. <laughs> and if they're acting too well, the kid doesn't relate. It's like, what? What is wrong with this? Why does this kid talk like that? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Why is little Leia selling me on the actual trauma of her family instead of just like, I don't know. Three ninjas in this. Why am I trashing this little girl? <laughs> I was gonna like, I'm a little adult and I'm sassy and I yes. can do jump kicks. Sassy. It's like, okay, all right. Look what I can do. Exactly. <laughs> Look what I can do. Did you know that the human head weighs eight pounds? Yeah. <laughs> Jonathan Lipnicki. Jonathan Lipnicki. Probably uh, a bodybuilder now? I yeah, oh, the guy's in incredible shape, man. Put a helmet on Jonathan Lipnicki, man. <laughs> Take it. <laughs> but take everything else off. Wow. I mean, I want to hit what you said about thinking that the Mandalorian has a shelf life. Mm -hmm. They wrapped up season three. No spoilers, Pablo, but okay. they wrapped it up. They soft rebooted it. And I think the soft reboot sets it up to be just fine to run for three seasons more if they want or however long. Mm. I suppose. But the thing that I really enjoyed about at least the first two seasons is there was a specific goal season one he finds this kid he has an attack of conscience i can't kill this kid what do i do and they tell me i gotta go find a jedi right but also all these people are hunting the kid everyone wants the kid the empire wants the kid these bounty hunters want the kid i've got to fight him off i've got to protect them and that's season one season two is like okay we're off the radar people trying to get him now let's do this thing we're gonna find the jedi and give him to the jedi and we follow that to its natural progression season three was we're gonna go back to mandalore which i was okay with i'm like i'm ready for this let's go back to mandalore and everything just felt wrapped up very quickly all the way through the season finale even the stuff that we're gonna talk about when pablo leaves and, and plugs his ears puts a helmet on with your <laughs> i'm just thinking like that's it that's how you guys got out of that one it's like a serial more than a narrative driven kind of show oh, there's room for that like you know i didn't watch star trek the tv show but i understand that episodically mm -hmm. it would be adventures to different places i'm not opposed to that i do think though that can i ask a question about jetpacks yeah where are you guys yeah. on these jetpacks I feel like it's a real suspicious thing when, like, sometimes they have them, sometimes they don't. Sometimes they have enough fuel, sometimes they don't. Thank I, you, man. I don't mind either of those things. I mind sometimes they remember they have them, sometimes they don't. All of the well, above. Where are we going to go? Like, how about up? Yeah, how about you use your fucking jetpack? <laughs> you guys are all about armor and technology, and you periodically forget that you have armor and technology. Remember when Din had the, what do they call the whistling birds or whatever they yes, were? Yes, what happened We haven't seen that? those all season. Yeah. What happened? He's been <laughs> surrounded so many times, like, oh, I guess I'm captive now. Admitted. We're getting to the larger issue with like comic book movies and sci-fi where it's like you got to nerf powers because otherwise 
you can't have like, yeah, sorry, actually the Hulk just kills everyone. Yeah, like, like you can't just do that. I get it. But when you are so much about <laughs> the armor and the technology and like that's the toy that you sold, I just feel like you got to have some internal logic that at least speaks to why it is that suddenly fuels a major issue. It was only an issue in that one moment, because let me tell you. There's a lot of fuel usage in this finale where now that they've entered it into the consciousness, I'm like, what? You can just do that? The last two episodes, they've moved to Tesla, apparently, <laughs> because no one's worried about fuel anymore. Pablo, how do you feel about them wasting ammo like it grows on trees, but then they live in a cave? <laughs> Shooting at the lake, you mean that scene where the target target practice is aiming at the lake? It was very like redneck almost, just like pew pew pew, just like aimlessly. Exactly, Kid Rock shooting at the Chinese spy balloon level strategy from the Mandalorians shooting at this lake. It's fun. It is funny because there's a scene where oh, it was the scene. Oh, spoiler! It was but episode seven. There's a scene I, where I, I invited this onto my. They similarly just let loose with a barrage of At fire. The wall, yeah, yeah. And it's like, why are we doing this again? Like, <laughs> no. Nah. That was something I saw. Was they shot at the blast doors because that was the training that they did shooting at the lake, wasting ammo. I love the idea of the children of the watch being the rednecks of Mandalore, right? Like, oh, yeah. Now it's all coming together for me. They're like, poor. Yeah. They're out there somewhere. No one really pays attention. They're attacked periodically by giant animals. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they lose track of their kids all the time. They give their kids guns and exactly and like at a young age. They they teach them how to use them irresponsibly. Yeah, man. They live in less desirable <laughs> areas. You know, not not quite urban epicenters. <laughs> poor drinking water. Yeah. yeah, all of this is true. I like that. Real quick, video game. Are you at all into the Star Wars video games? I have never gotten into Star Wars video games, but that's because I think early when I was like peak video gaming, Mm -hmm. I did not see one that was what I felt it should be. Right. So I am open to the idea of, look, my favorite video games are fundamentally Grand Theft Auto, Mm -hmm. Red Dead Redemption, open world style things. Right. If you give me one of those, exactly. If you let me wander around, but also use powers... I'm in. I'm intrigued. I, as someone, one of the only people I know who actually owns a Jedi robe, <laughs> I would strongly encourage you. I did buy a Jedi robe. Yeah, an authentic one. Largest. Right? Largest. There you go. <laughs> Discounted. Hook, line, and sinker, ladies <laughs> and gentlemen. I would encourage you to play Fallen Order, which was the one that came out three years ago, because it's all about this guy, Cal Kestis, who was a Padawan during the Purge during Order 66, and then goes undercover in hiding and kind of, like, forgets how to use the Force. And then he is put in a situation where it's, like, it's obvious and you're now on the Empire's radar. And so he has to simultaneously evade them, reconnect with the Force, and relearn, like, all of these things, and also doing these missions to save whatever the Jedi Order could become in this uh, post Revenge of the Sith world. And you use the Force in ways that are satisfying. As a video game? Yes. yes, absolutely. It's cool. You'll really love it. We bring it up because the new one is coming out called Jedi Survivor. And now everyone kind of asks the question, wait a sec, do, do we have to go through learning all this stuff again? And Respawn, which made the game like, no, you start off and he's got everything he learned from the last one. So now it's almost like in the way that Empire Strikes Back is the best of the original trilogy, but it couldn't be what it was if you didn't go through Star Wars, A New Hope, to lay the groundwork. So now we can go more advanced with these. 
same thing here. It's like, because we went through Fallen Order, which was a fun game, a great game, but the way they're describing it is like, this is their Empire Strikes Back. You're describing it kind of like in GTA when I just use the cheat codes and I'm like, yes, thank you for giving me the rocket launcher. <laughs> I just want to fire this at helicopters now. Yeah, I mean, like the ability to throw your lightsaber and then have it come Yeah, back that's the, the stuff that I'm like as a kid and certainly as an adult, as the owner of a Jedi robe, I do want. I also want a video game, now to think about it, where it's just like, if we can give John Boyega the story arc he deserved, yeah. not to bring it back again to like <laughs> the Rogue One and or universe, but like that was a taste of that. Right. In theory, right? Who becomes a stormtrooper? Right. Who is this guy? We never obviously got the payoff anything close. Yeah. But I do feel like there's just, I don't know, there's just something there that felt totally, totally under leveraged. And I'm like, I'd follow him around in a video game. From a storytelling standpoint, for sure. And to hear him tell it, he was pitched something completely different from what he ended up being. And that's why he's kind of disconnected from Star Wars and doesn't want to have anything to do with it anymore. I don't blame him. If you thought that you were going to be this rich, complex, three-dimensional character, yes. and then to turn into what he turned into, I can understand his frustration. You know what he ran up against? Largess? Largess. <laughs> All right, well, it's Largess to have Pablo Torre on, mm. but now we got to kick you out, man. I, I demand this. Thank you for being conscious of what I'm going to do tonight, which is... Catch up. There you go. He's two episodes back. Two episodes back. These fucking kids and their helmets. (laughs) I'm so mad. Wait, wait till you. There's a a scene with a helmet. All right. When we come back, we'll recap the season finale. It's called The Return. Folks, I want to talk to you about life and how things change and how they usually change for the better. Look, five years ago, I didn't have a podcast with my dad. Now I do. Five years ago, I didn't talk a lot on this show, and now I talk way more than people would like. So life is always changing. I'm sure in your life, you have examples of the same exact thing. But you know that one thing that hasn't changed? The great taste of Miller Lite. They keep it simple. Undebatable quality. Great taste. Only 96 calories. It's the beer that strips away everything you don't need and holds on to what matters most. A light beer that tastes like beer. Less filling and only 96 calories. The original light beer since 1975. You don't have to choose what's best. Miller Lite has great taste and is less filling. Tastes like Miller time. To get Miller Lite delivered right to your door, visit MillerLite.com crate. Or you can find it pretty much anywhere that sells beer. Celebrate responsibly. Miller Brewing Company, Milwaukee, Wisconsin. 96 calories per 12 ounces. Fewer calories and carbs than premium regular beer. So Maze, for the first time, I think, in Mandalorian history, the season finale, a little bit of a fart. Not a bad yeah, episode. It, it didn't stack up to number seven at all. Seven was way better. Seven was way more intriguing, set the table for a lot more exciting things in play. And eight kind of just said what basically this whole season has been, where we're introduced to a concept and we're like, okay, whoa, let's see where they take this story. It's probably going to take like... Four or five episodes to resolve it. Nope, just squash on it. Just sit on it right there. It's all done. Again, I don't think it was a bad episode. It was entertaining, but I just was disappointed with how quickly they wrapped things up into a neat little bow. Yeah, I agree with you. I mean, it started action-packed. I will give them credit for that, especially all of the jetpack fighting Mm -hmm. was pretty cool. But then... There was not a lot of suspense, and we put a bow on it. We put a helmet on it, and we're set for season four, and we're back to the 
lone wolf and cub dynamic going forward. Are you disappointed that Gideon died so easily? I think I'm more disappointed that they didn't totally confirm the kill. Oh, so we got a 50 cent in power. in flames in, his, Kanan, in yeah. his dark trooper armor. He's probably dead, but we didn't see his corpse is all I'm saying. Okay, I'll accept that. I mean, I felt like there was a lot of meat left on his bone. <laughs> Two innuendos in one. Meat on his bone. But the idea that his helmet has horns on it. Unaddressed. That meant something in Star Wars canon. and It just can't be just, oh, it looks cool. Give him some horns. Number two, that he had all these clones of himself. And I was like, whoa, okay, I didn't see that coming. Right. And we're just going to, like, destroy them. So the reveal and the end of them is simultaneous. Yeah. I guess the reason is because if he had four sensitive clones, it would have shown up in some capacity further down the line, right? So you have to cut off the branch. You have to trim the branch like the TVA before it can get to that point. We should point out while you brought up the horns that we talked about the spies last week. The whole internet went crazy about the spies. And it seems like the spies is actually a reference to the Old Testament where the Jews sent spies to ancient Israel to see if it was safe to live there, which is exactly what the Mandalorians did in the last episode. There have been a lot of stuff I've seen all over Reddit and other places comparing the plight of the Mandalorians with the plight of the ancient Jews. It does make a lot of sense. I kind of like our redneck analogy better. <laughs> but when I read all of the things that people say, including, by the way, what was it when he goes into the waters of Mandalore? The plaque? Yeah, the plaque that had literally an excerpt from Exodus. Mm -hmm. It looks like this was meant to mirror that portion of human history. And we know that the empire has been modeled off of Nazi Germany. So the eradication of the Mandalorians, the extermination of them, is kind of analogous to what happened to the Jewish people during World War II. It just... Calling your episode The Spies. They did it to fuck with us. Yes, it was just a little too cute. Back to Gideon, was it more disappointing because he wasn't really in this season until episode seven? Yeah, yes and no. If we had gotten parts of Gideon throughout the way, throughout the entire season, and it built up to this, maybe I'd feel a little better. But it just felt like this guy's a great villain, played by a great actor, and it's just like, boom, that's it. And for him to die in the most cartoonish, standing up with an explosion. I mean, yeah. Once again, helmet stunt casting. Yeah. I mean, at least let it catch him by surprise or like about to get up, stride towards him. And then this backdraft takes him out or whatever. I just wanted more than him very dramatically standing up and roaring. By the way, how is he a better fighter than Din Djarin? Suit enhancements? The suit has enhancements because he wrecked this Darksaber. Yeah. But somehow, Bo-Katan's hand, she's fine. Don't worry about it. A little sprain. Yeah, they gloss over that in the post. We talked about how Gideon returning wasn't really a surprise. So I think if they had taken the Council of Shadows and sprinkled maybe one or two more scenes of those throughout the season, it would have added a little bit more because they really just saved it all for episode seven and then obviously the big fight in this finale he's been the bad guy for three seasons it's not exactly like we've been waiting on him or anything so it's about time to close that loop the reveal that he's cloning himself and making his clones force sensitive i'm like come on guys 
you can't just kill that. It was truly something out of left field. So I'm like, yeah, tell me more about it. No, don't worry about it. <laughs> Boom. They're done. They're gone. Like, ah, come on, man. Once again, that tracks all the way back to the first season with Pershing and with taking Grogu's blood. And it's not like that hasn't been where we were headed. Sure, but we were all under the impression that this was the resurrect Palpatine. And it turns out it's this completely different side thing, but we don't even get to see them in action. Like, oh, like, oh man. So you wanted four sensitive clones just because you love clones. I love clones. It's true. I also loved Moff Gideon's Scooby-Doo villain-like exposition after the clones were all destroyed. Of course. And I would have gotten away with it if it weren't for you meddling Mandalorians. Giancarlo makes the most of it. He turns chicken shit into chicken salad there with those monologues. He does give us a great line, Mandalorians are weak once they lose their trinkets. I'm like, oh, yeah, that's a good one. The toys. You take away their toys. They're just Shout out to helpless. Pablo. <laughs> Is it weird that Gideon would refer to Din as the Mandalorian when he says the Mandalorian has escaped? Uh, but it's the one they had in captivity. Yeah. Albeit very poorly. Okay, you want to talk about getting things over with quickly? My God. All right, so two guards take him away, and Grogu's just there in his IG car. Yep. Already. Yep. There's no rescue mission. It just already happens within the first five minutes of the show. Which, by the way, it's not a very agile vehicle, right? He figured it out pretty fast. Even him figuring it out, it's big and clunky. I kind of feel like somebody would have noticed. Somebody on this base full of mm -hmm. freaking Imperials. Especially since Gideon has them low-jacked on his giant map. Oh, exactly. Axe wolves telling everybody to get off the ship and then pulling the holdover maneuver. Again, you have a jetpack. Couldn't you have just pointed it down and then got out a lot sooner? He drove it all the way down up until almost the end. Well, his jetpack getting him to orbit was where I wondered how much fuel does that take? To be fair, he wasn't one of the ones down by the river. With the rest of the rednecks. So you're saying he's not using the 87. He's using the 91 jetpack. He's fuel. a city Mandalorian. He ain't a country Mandalorian. The country ones have problems with the gas. We ain't got enough gas, see? Now, now the city folk, they got plenty. They got Teslas and shit like that. They're growing farms beneath the surface. Yep. It just felt very convenient, all of it. Corny how Gideon dies, kind of cool how Grogu protects them. Yeah, the Grogu coup de gras force moment was good. That was cool. That was cool. The shot of him with his back to the camera and his arms up with the flames reminded me of the Elmo meme. And then also it's similar to the Groot moment in the first Guardians of the Galaxy where he protects all of them. It was cool. And then we get the baptism why is Ragnar getting baptized a second time? This dude gets two bar mitzvahs. Right. It's not cool. Why are we baptizing his helmet? Why are we pouring the water on that? What does that do? And then Din wants Grogu to get baptized. And they say, well, he can't speak the creed, so he can't do it. Well, what if the parents say it's okay? And the armorer says, yes, but his parents are very far away, and we don't even know if they're alive. And May's my stupid ass, for just one second, thought, <laughs> season four, we go find Grogu's parents. I'm here for that mission. And then he just said, what if I adopt them? I'm like, 
Didn't you already adopt them like three seasons ago? I thought so too. Is this for tax reasons? Are we signing a contract? What's the deal here? You've been his dad this whole time. I think they thought this was going to be a huge reveal for us. Whereas I don't think that's the way that goes. So then, of course, Children of the Watch, they got rules for everything. Okay, you can adopt them, but... He's adopted now. Now you got to take them on some journeys. Go on some adventures together. Also, you got to give him your name and not your last name like we thought. Right. Din is apparently the family name, so now he's Din Grogu. But then that doesn't make sense because Bo-Katan Kreese is of Clan Kreese. Sabine Wren is of Children of the Watch shit. Children of the Watch. You can get away with anything. So it's Din Grogu. And they got to leave Mandalore, and then the Mythosaur wakes up, but don't worry about that. Well, I guess that was to show that there's Grogu's animal connection ability. They're going to wait on that till later, but I thought that was Grogu communing with the Mythosaur telepathically. Okay. And then we get a four Mandalore chant. They light the forge. That's what we've been waiting for, I guess, all Olympics long was to bring the torch to the stadium. They light the beam is what they did. Mm -hmm. Cut to Star Wars Vietnam. Every single X-Wing pilot that we've seen in this series is still at this bar. No wonder there are pirates everywhere. You guys ever do anything other than hang out at the bar? Carson Tiva was incredibly ass on in this scene. I mean, (laughs) I, I was taken aback. I was like, dude. Did they write this, like, right before you walked on set? Grogu is looking at the helmets that are above the bar, and one of them is an IG unit. Like a child, he's doing, look, look, Dad, look, it's a, you know, Mm -hmm. thing. And he's like, it's not the same one, kid. Din Djarin comes with the offer to be an independent contractor on a case-by-case basis. So then I'm like, all right, so we're going to go back to Coruscant and sell this thing, right? And Carson Tiva says, that's too much paperwork. They'll never go for it. And Din says, it'll be between me and you. I'm like, you're doing this for free? Under the table. Who's paying? You think Carson Tiva has bounty hunter money? Yeah, I did definitely think about the money situation from a different angle. I was thinking, did Din just take a year off to freelance the return to Mandalore? Was he taking that out of his retirement? How is he paying for this? So clearly he must be set financially right now. I guess. He's not worried about that. He's going to do off the books, side hustle, jobs, independent contracting for the New Republic. But then he does take payment. He asks for the IG head. Oh, okay. Yeah, because that's valuable. And I thought, oh, yeah, that's right. He needs the memory circuit thing. for. And I thought, how are they going to use it? And then didn't realize, no, they're just going to make him the marshal. And I'm pretty sure that the IG body destroyed torn up yeah. on Mandalore yep. by the Praetorian Guard and then by the big explosion. So he yada yada that one as well. Greek Cargo gives him the deed to his land. He said he gave him a cabin, which I thought was hilarious because that didn't look like a cabin. It at least looked like it had plumbing and electrical and heating. But the idea of them out on the range with the cabin made me laugh. Reminded me of the end of Red Dead Redemption 2. And that's it. That's the end of your season. And and hey, hey, do we have a post credit scene where we're, we're teasing Thrawn? No, no. no. Just no. some credits of who did the voices in Dutch. We get the telescoping circle in on Grogu and he drops the frog because you think he's going to eat it. And then he doesn't. Growth. Yeah, I suppose you could call it that. So overall, Maze, definitely the most disappointing of the season. Season one was a phenomenon. Season two, I thought actually up the ante and was better. Season three felt lost, felt rushed, felt hurried. I'm not saying it was bad. These episodes I enjoyed, I enjoyed. But the episodes I didn't 
were really bad. And overall, not enough adherence to a true story, an overarching story. It seemed like they had about three or four episodes of reviving Mandalore stuff. And instead of putting in any sort of B-plot or secondary element to this season, they've packed it with fluff and padding. And I am encouraged to think that season four will be back to the formula, new location, new characters, new adventures every week. Is that necessarily elite television? No, but I agree with you. I was fairly underwhelmed by what happened here. I like the Bo-Katan stuff. We should clarify, like specifically the dark saber got crushed and is now broken. And so all of the history associated with that and the significance of that is gone. I would have liked that for her to be the one to say, yes, it's just a trinket. I don't need it. Rather than him destroying it, Mm -hmm. it takes the power away from her that an external reason is why. In the same way, it takes the power away from Din to continue to wear his helmet instead of Mm -hmm. just realizing these rules are all dumb. Dividing all of us, we need to unite. I don't know. I wanted a little bit more, and I feel like a little bit of a broken record. Me saying I want more from these shows, it makes me really worry about Ahsoka. Part of me is like, well, they'll get it right with Ahsoka because Thrawn is just too big of a character to kind of yada yada. We've got the return of these different characters and the debuts of these different characters in the live format. But then the other part of me is like, man... I look at what happened with Book of Boba Fett. I look at what happened with this. I look at what happened. Obi-Wan, I was out on. I knew it was going to be bad. But Book of Boba Fett, Mandalorian Season 3, and at times Bad Batch. Things that I had high hopes for that collapsed a little under the weight of my expectations, I guess. I have a little more hope for Ahsoka because I'm fairly certain that Filoni has been thinking about what he wants to do with her arc and the other Rebels characters' arcs for a while. So that gives him time to refine that idea. Like I said, there wasn't a lot of stakes to taking back Mandalore. For the most part, once they got there, they had to take out a base. And they did. The end. Yep. It just didn't feel very challenging. It didn't feel very high leverage or suspenseful. And they did it. So... Great. We can check back in there every once in a while. I think in the grand scheme of things, it had to be done, but it just wasn't very dramatic. And that was a hallmark of the first two seasons. We had dramatic endings, right? Season one ended with Gideon with the Darksaber emerging from the wreckage, right? Season two ended with Luke Skywalker. With a goosebump, chill-inducing reveal that no one really saw coming. Oh, that was the other thing I saw. So Katie Sackhoff, who plays... Bo-Katan was telling the story about them filming that episode and Dave Filoni lied to everybody and told them it was Plo Koon who was Mm going to show up. And she said, I didn't think anything of it because the actor who was seeing had like the CGI light balls on his face that they're going to, you know, CGI it on later. So she didn't think twice. And then she said she's watching the episode real time with the rest of the world. The X-Wing, the robes, the green lightsabers. And she said she texted Filoni like, Flo Koon, exclamation mark, <laughs> question mark, like, and then an angry face, angry face, angry face, you know? You son of a bitch. I'm not out. You know, I'll watch all of these. The only Star Wars show that I tried to watch and I said, never mind, was Star Wars Resistance. Because it just felt like literally a children's cartoon. 
I watch everything. I watch them all. I watch all the movies. I watch all the shows. And I'll do it again. So it's not going to dissuade me at all. But certainly, I am getting a little tired of having this feeling of disappointment run through me. In that it's not because you guys didn't do what I wanted you to do or whatever. It's just that it's lazy, man. Like, I didn't see him cloning himself as a thing at all. Caught me up by surprise. We're like, all right, let's let's explore that a little. Let's let's not just end all of these things very quickly. And I know what you're saying, Maze. That, well, technically, the cloning has been a thing that we've known about since season one. But that's a huge reveal to have it then crushed all at, at once. Let's wrap it up here. Again, special thanks to Pablo Torre, newest member of Metal Arc Media. I don't know if we can induct him into the Sith Order. No, he didn't watch the finale. <laughs> Chop him. Give him a helmet. Get him out of here. Yeah. <laughs> He's a bounty hunter. For Darth Corn Puzzle, I'm Darth Amin reminding you, let's take back our planet. Folks, I want to talk to you about life and how things change and how they usually change for the better. Look, five years ago, I didn't have a podcast with my dad. Now I do. Five years ago, I didn't talk a lot on this show, and now I talk way more than people would like. So life is always changing. I'm sure in your life, you have examples of the same exact thing. But you know that one thing that hasn't changed? The great taste of Miller Lite. They keep it simple. Undebatable quality. Great taste. Only 96 calories. It's the beer that strips away everything you don't need, and holds on to what matters most. A light beer that tastes like beer. Less filling and only 96 calories. The original light beer since 1975. You don't have to choose what's best. Miller Lite has great taste and is less filling. Tastes like Miller time. To get Miller Lite delivered right to your door, visit MillerLite.com crate. Or you can find it pretty much anywhere that sells beer. Celebrate responsibly. Miller Brewing Company, Milwaukee, Wisconsin. 96 calories per 12 ounces. Fewer calories and carbs than premium regular beer.